What's up, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Three Things Podcast. If you have been a listener for some time, you know that Nancy Newell and I threw down the gauntlet to Greg Robbins, basically called him out, said, hey, Greg, open invite to come on this podcast. And sure enough, Greg Robbins is the man. He reached out. He's on the podcast this week. Him and I have a great conversation. Um, We talk about how the Strength House went from a web-based business to a brick-and-mortar We talk about one unexpected or unconventional things that help power lifters in their training. And then we also talk about not necessarily culture, and you hear how we kind of dip on that word a little bit, but just kind of what makes the Strength House really unique and really special as a place to train and a place for their coaches to coach. This is an awesome conversation. Greg Robbins, Tony Bonvecchio, Nancy Newell, all three coaches of the Strength House have been on the podcast. You can see why they're so successful with how they talk, communicate, and coach. Um, This is an awesome conversation. I'm glad you guys get the chance to hear it. Enjoy it, and I will see you next week. My name is Greg Robbins. I am a co-owner of the Strength House in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, who I am, where I do it, uh, what do I do? Uh, I wear many hats at the Strength House, um, but for the most part, I would still consider myself, you know, a full-time in-person strength and conditioning coach. Um, I'd spend at least, I'd say, at least 40 hours a week at the minimum out there coaching clients. So, um, but with business ownership, I mean, you know, starting to learn more about marketing and social media and uh, lead conversion and all the fun stuff that comes with that. Um, And also just uh, all the stuff that comes with kind of running an organization. Um, I think when you own the gym, it's kind of like being the, you know, the head coach of a sports team in some way where you have to kind of uh, also manage your your team uh, all your clients the kind of keep an eye on what kind of culture is brewing at at your gym so there are many hats worn but uh mostly a strength and conditioning coach still that's awesome that's awesome i actually the, the first thing that I've, I've got here for those that maybe are tuning in because I've, I've completed the trifecta of strength house coaches here um, if you've listened to the Nancy Newell podcast, you know, I just blatantly was like Greg Robbins open invitation to come on the podcast. Boom. Greg Robbins on the podcast. Um, he's the man. Um, three things I've got written down here. Greg doesn't know what they are. Um, so he's super brave for this. But, um, the first thing here is actually kind of, kind of expanding on, on the business side of things. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, I've been, uh, like I forget what the old radio saying is like long time listener, first time caller where I, I've had the, the pleasure of, of, you know, following your work and, and learning from you when uh, you were at Cressy sports performance. And then when you guys like were, were doing a lot of like side stuff with the strength house and, and the OG strength house podcast and all the content you guys were making, but it, what, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but were there any like major unexpected challenges when, you kind of expanded a, like a web-based business that the strength house kind of started with and kind of converted it into a brick and mortar gym. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, if that's not how it happened, but um, it was like kind of like the reverse of like a brick and mortar turned into like auxiliary services. 
where it was like the strength house was like crushing and then it's like boom its own gym from like what may have started on a web-based platform yeah i mean that is that is how it started and uh i'd like to tap my uh pat myself on the back and be like um some sort of business guru who um (laughs) you know realized that building the web part of the business before the in-person part actually made a lot of sense um but that's just completely coincidence um so but maybe others can learn from that it's kind of a it's like advice I don't really want to give because I don't want young strength coaches uh, to think that they just should build like a web-based business if they don't have a lot of in-person experience and are not currently coaching people in person. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of like careful with, with saying it's a good idea. I mean, I, th- I think it is a good idea if it is a good idea to establish some kind of online brand while you are coming up in the industry, coaching people in person. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it, it hurts anybody to do that, you know, to just put some kind of content out there, get your name out there. Um, and in this case, um, when we were at Cressy Performance, we were working mainly with uh, baseball players and there was another population in powerlifting uh, and just generally people that, you know, I say we kind of like we coach powerlifters and just generally people that just want to get like really jacked um, and enjoy doing the three big lifts as kind of their core movement. So there was a there was a population that I wanted to work with and that was going to be kind of tough um, at CSP. So I started trying to, you know, take some some clients online in the powerlifting realm and um, competing in powerlifting myself. And so I got a, a fair following there along with Tony's help. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then we decided that, you know, we wanted to, basically we wanted to be, there's a, I put a ton of stock in the power of like your environment and whether you want to call that culture. I mean, I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot and it kind of misunderstood. So I'm not going to call it culture, but um, the environment at the strength house, you know, having uh, control of that, Tony and I felt like that was just such a bigger impact on people's success than straight sets and reps. Um, so that's what kind of forced us to open our own gym. And we were able to do that because we had um, the online business going. Yeah. So maybe rather than like an unexpected challenge that you guys faced, it was more why by having the actual brick and mortar gym, you're actually able to enhance what you were doing because of, of the environment feel especially when you guys have always talked about it. And I've, I've heard other people who, who are in the sport of powerlifting say like, if you want to get strong, you got to be around strong people. And sometimes it's hard to do that if you're following a program and you're in a commercial gym or you're in an environment that just doesn't have other savage minded people, um, you know, that you're lifting and training alongside with. So um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And I definitely, you know, I, I definitely follow, follow your, your footsteps there saying like, people shouldn't just like jump on a computer and think that they're trainers. You got to train people first. Like that is, that is maybe one of the most constant things I've heard from people who have success in, in training or, or strength training, whatever it might be is that you got to like, you got to cut your teeth on the floor before you start to dabble with anything else, like outside of, outside of the actual coaching sessions. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, 
you know, as much success as we've had with people online, I know that we would have even more success with those same people if we got to see them in person. So I don't yeah. think there's really a, I don't think there's really a substitute for that. I think the closest thing we get is, you know, we have, I have a fair amount of clients online who, who follow my guidance from a programming standpoint and still train at some pretty badass gyms around some pretty strong people. So I think that's kind of the best of both worlds for them. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. You touched on this a little bit, and this was, this was the third thing, but I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to bump it up to the second thing. Um, right. And I mean, whether it's culture, environment, you know, community, what, however you want to describe it, because I definitely agree with you. Where I think culture has turned into a buzzword, and no one really knows what it, what it is and, and how to, like, create it or foster it or, or whatever. But what are two things that the Strength House does, whether it be the community, the, 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 you know, the athletes, the people – the staff, but what are two things that have contributed to making the strength house what the strength house is? I'll just phrase it like that and let you kind of fill in the blanks. So you're putting two things inside of the three things. That's clever. I know. Yeah. See what I did there? See what I did there? Um, all right. Since I, I did a terrible job of answering the first question, I kind of skipped the actual question itself. Um, That's fine. I, this, you can't do a bad job. <laughs> I'm the host of this podcast, and like I do a pretty shitty job, so uh, you, you, I'd make people look pretty good. You're, you're doing great. Well, uh, the two things that, that make people at the Strength House successful, um, well, like to kind of build upon that, that idea of culture, I, I think the reason that it gets um, misunderstood is that like, a lot of people are relating culture to, you know, like a poster on the wall that says, you know, work your ass off or something like that. That's, that's not culture. Um, just because you, you know, put hashtag the name of your gym followed by family or followed by squad or followed by whatever also doesn't mean you have a culture. Um, <laughs> the only the culture to me is bred through actions. Um, so like, uh, I heard of this story once, and I don't know if it's if it's true or not, but I, I like telling it anyways, is um, I'm a big Patriots fan. And uh, as we all know, Tom Brady was the backup quarterback for Drew Bledsoe. And he was a skinny kid guy who never really made it at all. And um, or sorry, what am I? He's a skinny guy that no one ever really thought would make it at all to the point that he is now. Um, but there's this story that uh, either like the year before he took over for Bledsoe or maybe it was like the year before that. I don't remember when he got drafted, but um, it was at a similar time that Rodney Harrison, one of the great, I think defensive backs for the Patriots was, was traded over to the team and he was known for being a guy that nobody outworked. And he showed up at the gym um, the morning of, of a practice before they were going to review film. I think they review film at 10 a.m., and he showed up at the gym at 7 a.m. And no one else was in there except one guy, Tom Brady. And he's like, who's this, you know, who's this skinny-ass white guy working out over here? I've never seen this guy before. And um, so he goes, you know, well, no one outworks me. So the next day he shows up at, at, at 6.30. Tom's already there. The next day, 6 a.m., Tom's already there. He gets there at 5.30, a crack-ass of dawn, basically. Tom Brady is already there. And uh, – it wasn't too long after that that he took over for Bledsoe and led them to a Super Bowl and so on and so forth. And as the story was told, uh, by the time they got to the playoffs, the year that he took them to the Super Bowl that first year, if you showed up at the gym at, at 5.30, 6 a.m. before practice, you would have had like 35, 40 guys in there. Um, so Tom Brady essentially started what is the Patriots culture. 
And if you look at that, you're not going to find really a more successful sports franchise than the Patriots have been over the last, you know, decade or more. And that's because there's a culture in New England of nobody's going to outwork the Patriots. You know, people, when you get to the field, you're going to be afraid to play the Patriots knowing that at the best you work as hard as them, but nobody's going to outwork them. Um, you look at a lot of other really good teams in the NFL over that time frame. You have guys like, you know, even the Saints who are kind of always up and down. You can see the difference between a really strong culture's product and some of these other teams that kind of, you know, look at the Falcons. They get to the Super Bowl one year, get beat by the Patriots, and now, you know, they're not relevant anymore. It's not like they didn't have the talent still. They just – I don't think that that organization has the same culture that, that Tom Brady has um, through action – fostered in new england so at the strength house i think what we try to do is set a culture through action uh if you look at all three of our coaches we lead by example uh we train our ass off we expect the same thing from from our clients um and when you get in there it doesn't really matter if you're an elite power lifter a high school athlete um you know a mom of two it's just a question of are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to show up three to four days per week? And while you're here, work hard. And we really, we don't really have any clients at the strength house. And I would say this is the first time in my life. And I've worked at a bunch of really successful gyms where I can say that we don't, we don't have that, that whiner or that person that doesn't want to show up or complains about it. Um, you know, that you hear coaches talk about all the time because that person just doesn't last in our facility and that's fine with us. Um, so, so I think leading through action is one of the things that, that makes people at the Strength House successful. And then the second thing would be um, setting up a, a safe zone for people. And what I mean by that is the sense that like no one walks in there and no one is afraid to fail. And that's really important to us. Um, and I think that that can have a big impact on, on your environment and your culture too. Um, if you look at like a hierarchy of needs type um, you know, scenario, one of the needs for people is to feel a sense of safety and a sense of belonging. Um, and that's something that we really try to foster at the strength house. Um, and we do that again, based on just the simple actions and the simple idea of making sure, you know, from day one that we explain that to people, uh, and we're very clear about it. Uh, and we take them through that. And that's not something that a lot of people have conversations with, their clients on the first day you know it's a lot of let's take you through this movement assessment and you know you're lacking thoracic rotation like no one gives a shit about that to be honest with you um, <laughs> that's the, and that's not the stuff that's going to make people successful if you don't check the box first of them feeling like you know they're a part of something now this is uh this is their thing they're part of a team with a bunch of other people and they're going to work up to those same expectations that the other people work at and, and they can do no wrong. As long as they show up and work their butt off, um, they can do no wrong. And in a, in a facility like ours where so many people are already kind of embodying that, that ethic of working really hard, people are intimidated for sure, I think, a lot of them when they start there. So to hear that they can't fail is really important. That's awesome. Those are, I mean, those are, you've definitely put some thought into that. And I would, I would encourage everyone listening to this to just kind of like replay the last couple minutes and, and listen to like, I mean, those are things that you can tell Greg, you've thought of those. And like, that's, you know, it's not surprising. 
hearing you talk about, you know, leading with action and creating the space that allows people to be successful. Like that's kind of the, you know, the foundation pillars that it seems the strength house has been built on. And, and I would encourage everyone that if, if you find those values or those, you know, like that, that builds the culture that builds the expectation that you're talking about. And, and if you don't have those, you probably have no business in, in you know, really looking to expand into the, the realm of business or creating something bigger you know, at scale or whatever it might be in, in, in fitness or in anything. But um, I really appreciate you diving into those answers because I, I had a feeling if I asked a question like that, like Nancy hit that sucker out of the park, you just hit that sucker out of the park. You can tell that the strength house has got some, some good shit going on and, and it's awesome to, to admire from afar. So um, I appreciate you giving good answers like that, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So the last thing I've got here, and this is like, this is something I'm, I have no idea how you might answer this, but I honestly, like I wrote this down and I might sound like a complete jackass because like, I'm, I'm not a power lifter, but I'm always kind of fascinated by like people, like people's time and tenure and kind of what they found in, in a certain realm or certain area. So what's one thing that, that might be pretty unconventional or unexpected that um, that like power lifters should be doing in their training, whether it be seasonally or, or it's more like a routine thing in their training, but something like unconventional that people might not really expect um, that really pays huge dividends. Um, I think there's a, there's a couple of different ways that you could go with that. I mean, I think, I think we do some things with our power lifters that a lot of people don't do. Um, but it's it's fresh in my mind because you use the word seasons and um i think that is a fatal mistake that a lot of people powerlifting make is that they don't chunk their training up into seasons um so as someone coming from an athletic based strength and conditioning background uh who also competes in powerlifting and, and coaches powerlifters the idea of of kind of periodizing training um, based on like a competitive schedule is, is, you know, just something that was kind of second nature to me because that's what we would do with an athlete. We're going to look at how far out are they from their season. Um, and to be general, um, we're going to, you know, at the furthest point away from the season, we're going to work on more general qualities. And as we get closer to the season, we're going to work on things that are, uh, have more specific transfer to their sport. Um, and that works really, really well for powerlifting too. Um, so I think, uh, this day and age in powerlifting, you have like a few different camps of how to get things done and, and all those camps are successful and all of them have, you know, big time lifters that have been products of, of those systems. So it's not to say that one is necessarily better than the other, but I have chosen to follow the camp of kind of splitting work up into seasons, just because I, I think that that gives people the, the more majority of people the ability to be successful. Um, so the way that that would be broken down is kind of saying like, let's say you just finished a powerlifting meet and your next powerlifting meet isn't for six months. Um, and like a quick caveat to that, I would say any powerlifter really should only be competing about two times per year. Um, so competing too often doesn't allow you to have seasons in the first place. Um, but so let's say they just finished their meet and they're six months out from the next meet. Um, that's a, that's the point as a coach where, I'm going to start backwards planning, like pretty much right from the day after they finish their meet. Usually I'm looking at it even beforehand. Um, the week prior to their meet, I'm already thinking about, you know, where we're going to start this next block um, after the meet. 
So if we're six months out, you know, we might say, okay, we're going to do about uh, three to four months of very general work. Um, it's going to look a lot more, we're going to basically use a lot more like bodybuilding methods, um, as well as I like to use like a lot of athletic-based training means um, and strongman type events like farmer's carries, yokes, uh, sled pushes, sled pulls, things like that. Uh, from the athletic-based background, that might be the time where we work in a lot more single leg work, a lot more work in all three planes of motion, um, as well as maybe some like low level aerobic conditioning. Um, and then from the bodybuilding standpoint, we're just taking a lot of these exercises. Um, you know, a lot of times if they have the equipment, I'm, I'm even going to, I'm going to stay away from any sort of back squat, barbell deadlift or barbell bench press right after a meet. And we're going to do a lot more, um, you know, whether it be like, using a leg press or doing more front squats or doing half heeled squats. And we're going to work in rep ranges um, that, you know, traditionally would be used more so for hypertrophy. So somewhere in that kind of like six to 12 rep range. And our main focus is going to be, you know, getting bigger, getting more resilient and getting in better shape. Um, and once we get, you know, through that four, three, four month period, that gives us a nice three month period where we can start to be more specific again, leading up to the next meet. Um, and so that's where you're going to get into your more traditional powerlifting style training, where um, we're going to be using a lot more of variations of the squat bench press and deadlift to make up the majority of the volume of training that you're doing. Um, so, you know, in general, I would say that's just the people I think shy away from that because they're like, well, how am I going to get, stronger at the squat bench press and the deadlift if I'm spending four months not doing as much squat bench pressing and deadlifting. Um, and that, I, that I can answer that a couple ways. Like one, if someone's newer to the sport, you probably don't need to be in that season quite as long is one argument. The other argument is if someone's newer to the sport, depending on what they were doing before that, they also haven't been exposed to a lot of different other exercises and training means. So to have uh, more variety and a wider base is going to be helpful. And that strength is going to come back for sure. When you, you know, start your, you know, three to four month meat prep um, cycle, you might feel like you're a little bit weaker at first, but that's just because neurally you need to kind of repattern and get used to those exercises again. But um, without fail, you're, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be healthier. You're going to feel better. And you're going to be able to really put in a very intense, you know, three to four month, lead up to your next meet because you chunked your training into seasons. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, I definitely, uh, you know, never really, I mean, obviously like I just, I told you before I asked the question, like, I don't know a whole lot about powerlifting, but I never, I didn't think you'd go with the, like the season route. Like, I think that's, uh, it, like, it's so obvious. Like when you like coming from an athletic background and working with athletes, like, yeah, like that makes total sense. But, you know, I think sometimes people, think more is better and obviously like probably competing is is fun as hell so people want to do it a, a lot when it can be tough on the body and tough through preparation and things like that that's uh that was a rock solid answer yeah yep uh, i would encourage people to, to think about it that way and i think they'd see a lot of success so it's speed round time and the speed round is my favorite part um it's like a mullet. That's basically, I'm going to rename the podcast, the three things mullet business is done in the front and then the parties in the back. Um, so these answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. Um, I definitely creep everyone before I do the podcast so I can get some, 
some little insight information as to what uh, might be more applicable to them. So people listening to this, if none of this makes sense to you, then you probably really should go creep Greg Robbins and uh, <laughs> it might. Um, so I think the over under for the Pats Chiefs game is 56 this week. Uh, you got the over, or you got the under. Man, I got to admit, I'm not, I'm not really uh, up to terms with gambling as much. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, not, not say that you're a big gambler, but yeah, <laughs> I have like, no idea. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a, uh, that's kind of a foreign language to me. Um, so break it down really quick. What over under 56 means. Sure. Okay. So point total for the game. Um, but like the total score, like if, if you think it's going to uh, be like Kansas city, uh, 27 Patriots, 17, that would be, what's that 14? That'd be like 44. Um, you know, so that, like that point total for the game over under, um, well, let's just start with this. What do you think the score of the game is this week? I'll just, and I'll, I'll do, I'll convert the over under for you. I think it's, I think it's going to be under, and I think it's going to be a game like, like a 28, 21 or 28, you know, 24 type pretty close game, but, uh, at the most, I think a single team is only going to score in the low 30s. So I think the over-under is pretty accurate, which I'm, I'm sure it's often pretty There you accurate. go, Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if, uh, if I was a betting man, I'll take the under. Okay. All right. Greg Robbins officially taking the under. If that's what people bet uh, and you win, then you should send royalties to Greg Robbins. Um, 10%. <laughs> um man i should have just made this like all patriots i'm a cowboys fan so like i have nothing left i like don't have a soul anymore so um the patriots yeah. are like kind of all i have and it's just in new england it's it's just to be expected every year um has anyone ever tried to change the music at the strength house that's like not you or tony or nancy yes um, and did you beat them like what ha like did are they still alive uh what what happened um, yeah, I think it, it's only happened once. Um, it was in the very early state. I mean, we're talking the first few weeks of the strength house even existing. Um, and basically we crafted a sign that said, if you're not on the leaderboard, don't touch the music. <laughs> and that, that became the rule. Um, and now, and so it stands. And since that time, I, I can only think of that one instance where it happened, uh, and it hasn't happened since. <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm pretty sure it, is it is it like just Metallica or is it just like do you guys do you guys just just metal? You know, uh, it it's gotten a little bit more varied here and there. But if I would say it's eighty to ninety percent hard rock and metal, um, and we uh, Nancy's made a few playlists that include some options that are questionable but we really we, <laughs> we like nancy a lot so we let those go that's amazing um after treehouse what's your favorite brewery i'm just assuming treehouse is your favorite brewery because you're in massachusetts um well i would say hill farmstead's my favorite brewery up in your oh neck wow of the woods. oh wow um and so after treehouse hill farmstead uh but technically hill farmstead is is superior in my opinion Wow, you are you're a good person, Tony Bonvecchio. Not a good Vermonter. You went to school in Vermont, but I don't think you're from Vermont. No, I'm not. I uh, I was born in Chicago, but my family moved to Massachusetts when I was seven years old. So I'm basically just from Massachusetts. Yep, and you're now a better Vermonter than Tony Bonvecchio. Let it be known. Um, <laughs> 
what is the strongest thing you've ever seen in the gym um, out of competition? So nothing, you can't say anything in competition, but the strongest thing you've seen in the gym training. Um, the strongest thing I've seen in the gym training is I've seen a pair of 800 plus pound deadlifts. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and I've also seen like a mid 500 pound raw bench press. Um, wow. So yeah, early on in my powerlifting career, I got to train um, at Total Performance Sports and coach there, uh, which is in Malden, Mass. And yeah, there's a lot of really strong dudes there. And at, at that time too, we had um, some pretty strong guys coming in for seminars and things like that and training with us. So uh, I've had the opportunity to you see some some pretty uh some pretty big dudes move some pretty big weights in the gym that's that's pretty sweet um who would win in an arm wrestling contest you or tony bonvecchio he's got some pretty uh like thick arms there um but i'm a, I'm a competitor so I'm, I'm gonna say me just it's the second yeah. second tony bonvecchio call out in this podcast what was the first one? Uh, he's not a real Vermonter. He's like not a good Vermonter. Oh, oh he literally yeah, oh, said on this podcast. <laughs> this literal podcast, like, got it. <laughs> yeah, literally, like not on this podcast, but like in his own podcast of the three things. Great episode for those that haven't listened to it. He basically like disavowed Vermont and was like, yeah, Massachusetts, Treehouse Brewing is my favorite. And then he was like, oh, The Alchemist is close. And it was like, yeah, I hope he's like in the car, wherever you are, like listening to me, just like totally throw him under the bus right now. But um, not a real Vermonter, even though he's a Vermonter. So yeah, I feel I feel like his his answers might have changed since then, but um, at the moment in the uh, the realm of this podcast, yeah, I'm a better Vermonter. You are absolutely um, Tony Bonvecchio. I know you're listening to this, or you're just next to Greg Robbins right now. Um, you have an open invitation to come back on it and we'll just make the podcast all about beer, you and Vermont, and you can try to make your way back into the, the Holy land. Um, the strength house podcast, are you guys going to do a comeback or what? It's been like eight months since you guys have done a, an episode. <laughs> um, yeah, we get asked that a lot and um, we would really like to, um, <laughs> you talk about to, uh, since I didn't really answer your question the first time that you asked it, that first one, uh, that's been one of the challenges of opening a, a facility is just uh, finding the time to casually drink three to four beers on a weekday night. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's our main, main hang up there uh, is we need a couple more hours in the day. But I do think in the grand scheme of things, it is our goal to bring the podcast back. Uh, we just um, – just need to figure out how, how to fit that into the schedule. Well, hopefully between you, Tony, and Nancy, the three of you can get it done. Because I was a big fan. That was one of, uh, one of the podcasts that I would listen to that was actually like training related. So um, maybe I just had you on here just so I could ask that question. Um, but let's, let's do it. Let's make it a thing. We're trying. I think, I think you will see it come back. I can't say when, but it will be back. That's amazing. Um, you will get spanned by the four people that listen to this podcast if that podcast is not back up. Um, uh, Greg Robbins, thank you for carving some time out on a Friday. I didn't know if we were going to be able to get it in today, and I'm super pumped we did. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on.
They appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, if you guys come up uh, to Vermont, you know, let me know. I'm right in Richmond, so um, 30 minutes from Burlington, 30 minutes from Stowe. So let me know. Beers are on me. All right. That sounds like I know, a good plan. I'll say first round of beers. I don't know. You and Tony. Yeah, so first round of beers are on me. First round of beers are on me. But um, All right, it was a, a great talk, Greg. I appreciate you making time. Yeah, man. No problem at all. Thanks for having me.